Here's a question I've often wondered about. When I publish a podcast like this one on Substack and then post it to LinkedIn, how can I integrate the LinkedIn comment threads into the Substack posts itself? That way we could all have one big conversation about this topic rather than siloed ones across social media platforms. Even better, wouldn't it be valuable if any time my article was discussed anywhere on the internet, anyone could easily keep up with and participate in that conversation? That's exactly the topic that I explored in this podcast episode with Anadit Nagar, co-founder at The Convo Space, which is backed by Consensus, Ethereal Ventures, NFX, Protocol Labs, and other Web3 investors. We discussed what is the value proposition of decentralized conversations for both consumers and developers? What exactly are the Web3 aspects of his company now and what might they be in the future? And what will his go-to-market motion look like? As always, after these Web3 conversations, my brain is exploding. Feel free to reach out to me with any thoughts. You can also read the lightly edited transcript of the conversation below. Let's dive in. Anadit, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Alison. Super stoked to be here. So to get started, can you tell us how did you get into the Web3 world? I've been in the Web3 space for about three and a half, four years now. I primarily started working out in the Web3 space, primarily for like a college project that I was rolling out. And I just randomly typed in the words like decentralized storage in, on Google and out came like IPFS, Ethereum, and just started exploring the space uh, for like a first year college project, filled that out. That was sort of the first time that I stepped into that entire ecosystem, fell into that rabbit hole and never really looked back since then. Been building in the space, working with tons of different startups, companies, just building dApps, writing smart contracts. That's just how I got my start. Tell us about what your company does. Corner Space actually started out even as like an early hackathon project and really took off last year when we participated in an eighth global hackathon. But uh, yeah, the idea really came out when uh, I was just talking with my co-founder and we were just ranting about this design of a website and wanted to talk about that. But then I was on that website and she was on WhatsApp and we had to like sort of jump into these different silos just to be able to communicate about really anything on the internet. So that's where the idea sparked. And then we were like, hey, what if we could just be on that website, talk about whatever we're seeing right there for that interface and not have to jump through all of these silos, but at the same time, be able to pick up that same conversation wherever I am. So we started building out this interoperability layer wherein I could just have a conversation, sort of like this decentralized discus, wherein I could be on a website, talk about whatever I want, but then switch out. And let's say I just have Telegram on my phone and be able to join in that same conversation, just the way we join in like Zoom links or Meet links and be able to continue that conversation over there, really wherever I go. And uh, with Converse Space, our goal was to be able to do all of this in a completely decentralized manner, wherein we have all the goodness of Web3, like, you know, self-sovereign identity and ownership where people have like sole control over their data. It is all blockchain backed and verified and able to do all of those things. So being able to just build another silo was really our goal. I was already interested in blockchain. So that's sort of the route that we went into. And yeah, we're just keeping on expanding and growing. I could see why a lot of people on the consumer side, consumers would really appreciate being able to chat with their friends wherever they are. You can imagine, you know, having a conversation about a topic of interest and maybe exploring multiple websites together, for example, that relate to that topic. Might there be business use cases for the Convo space as well? Absolutely. So one of the biggest problems that we face when we're building out Convo space is that we want to build out a consumer product. 
But what we realized was there weren't even any tools, libraries, or literally anything for us to be able to build such a product. So first, what we had to do was actually build out like the infrastructure, the code libraries, tools that developers can actually use to be able, able to build such a decentralized conversation layer for the internet. So we start, sort of pivoted into this thing where we just have all of the libraries, infrastructures, something as simple as like single line of code that people could just drop into their websites and just spin up like a mini comment section on their blog to something like a full-blown decentralized Reddit built on top of Condor space is completely possible. All of it is in like currently in a SaaS format wherein just grab an API key and get started hacking. That's really all you need to sort of build and get started hacking on top of Condor space. So it's really where our business head is. I'm wondering from a personal standpoint why I might actually benefit from using the combo space and I and I haven't used it yet. As you know and the readers know, I have a Substack and there are community features that you can enable there. You know, I can allow people to comment on my posts. But what's a little bit frustrating is that I might post an article or a podcast to LinkedIn. There might be a really interesting conversation that people are having about the article on LinkedIn. But then on Substack, maybe because people are primarily reading these articles or listening you know, on their phones, like they're not often commenting on the Substack. So if I use the combo space, could I enable conversations to move between platforms? Absolutely. And you tie into this very interesting point in which our core focus with combo space is simply on interoperability. We don't want to build another silo where in the Web2 realm, to be able to build like an incredibly popular scalable business, your core mode was only possible when you build a silo. Like WhatsApp has become so big only because you have to be on WhatsApp. Only then can you talk to other people on WhatsApp. That was the only way to actually scale it to like billions of people. But within Web3, we finally get this concept of, of positive sum games, wherein everyone can contribute data to this decentralized conversation layer. And any other platform can sort of pull and continue those conversations anywhere else. So in like the traditional world, if I had to talk to you and if I was on WhatsApp, then you also had to be on WhatsApp. But in the Web3 world, we could have somebody on WhatsApp, somebody on Telegram, somebody on a website, somebody in the VR world, somebody on your Substack, all talking about that same conversation in the same group, but have completely different interfaces and completely self-owned like data structures, identity that only they can control and be able to do all of those same things in that same seamless Web2 ecosystem and interface. This is really fascinating. And I can see now from my own standpoint why this actually might be very useful. Who exactly are you marketing your product to? Who are your customers? For now, it's just developers. If we talk about the sort of the Web3 niche that we are focusing on right now, it's primarily towards this ecosystem of DAOs and this ecosystem of NFTs. Because Right now, one of the biggest problems in the ecosystem for Web3 is the information asymmetry, wherein you really have to follow like those uh, popular Twitter accounts or like the right accounts to be able to understand what's happening in the ecosystem. Or let's say there is a certain hack that has happened. How do you alert your users to be able to broadcast that information so that, well, your function get compromised and be able to do things like that? So that's where um, sort of Convo Space has become this way in which people can propagate information in a much faster manner because you could just leave a comment on like either scan or anywhere else on the web and it can travel to wherever the actual consumer 
is using the product or consuming information. So it sounds like I wouldn't be a direct customer of the combo space using my Substack. Probably Substack would have to work with you directly. Is that right? Yes. But Substack also, I think, has this capability where you can just drop in like an HTML, HTML code. And you can just sort of copy that from Converse Space, paste that in, and just be able to use Converse Space independently. Oh. So you aren't directly dependent on Substack to be able to integrate Converse Space. Oh, interesting. So I literally could use your product by incorporating the HTML. Yes. Oh, fascinating. And would you be charging me directly for that? No. The small little embeds and different websites are all free. Anyone who wants to hack on top of like the raw APIs, libraries, DevTooling, they can just grab that API key and it's also free, a very generous free deal. Only when you're scaling up to like very massive user loads, then it's mostly a paid service and we still haven't built that on. Got it. Tell us a bit about your pricing model. How exactly do you make money? So for now, it's mostly towards SaaS offering. So it's a free deal, but in terms of pricing, it's priced per single request. So if you're making like 100,000 requests a day, maybe it's roughly towards 20 or $30 a month. That's sort of where it is, which is way cheaper because primarily because there isn't any other product in this category, whether it might be in Web3 or really anywhere else. But also because it's an extreme developmental pace right now, we aren't really charging for any of it. But that's how that's where our head would be at. And uh, especially within Web3, it sort of opens up this idea for like tokens and crypto to be incorporated into it. Where it right now, even though it's focused towards SaaS, down the line, just the way like blockchains and Ethereum work, you would be able to host, like imagine like a specific application on your own computer. Imagine like a mini version of Convo, where on your own local computer, you'll be able to store all your social data, like the way on Twitter, it's stored on Twitter servers. You'll be able to do that on your own computer. You can sort of build and hack on top of that local node so that you don't have to depend on us to be able to host that application data. So to simplify that a little more, we would be decentralizing the entire infrastructure down to the community so that people don't have to depend on us just the way you can spin up an Ethereum node and be independently participate in that network. You'll be able to do all of that, be able to make fees from all the API requests, be able to host it for yourself or for others and actually incorporate a token to be able to do all that whether it might be the fees, governance, and all of that. So that's sort of the Web3 aspect of it, of being able to be centralized to the community. But right now, it's purely focused towards like SaaS. I see. So would you consider yourself to be running a Web3 company right now? Pretty much, yes. But our core goals, even the investors and people that we have on board, always know that even though the Web3 is the part that we're starting with, none of our libraries, none of the products that we built out are just for Web3 companies. It can be used by anyone up there. Got it. So you don't currently have a token. Do not. So tell us in what way exactly are you Web3? So we are Web3 in a way where most of our entire stack, whether it might be storage of how data is stored, is using decentralized service. Okay. Whether it might be the way identity in terms of how we link data to an actual user. Right now, in the traditional Web2 world, it's all Gmail IDs, right? You can just sign up your account using Facebook, Google, or use your own emails and be able to do link that. But then Google can anytime like sort of revoke your access to it, or if you lose your access to it, then you lose data and things like that. Well, within the Web3 world, that entire ownership of that data is towards you. 
towards your own identity. You hold the private keys, so nobody else has access to it. And the cool part about that and why that's significant is primarily because of rules like GDPR, CCPA, all of those things. But also, we have the single button on Converse space, which is called you call your data. Within just like a single click, you can erase your data from every single like sort of interface provider, developer out there that you've given access to that is using on top of it of any single platform and go anonymously within the click of a button because you own all that data. You're the sole one who has access to it and you can revoke it anytime, but even just delete it from every single interface. So that's sort of the power that we want to give users that mm. almost no Web3 platform is really capable of. I mean, you can, but you never really actually know if it happens. So literally with a click of the button, I could eliminate anything I had ever said on any platform on the internet. I mean, any and all conversational data that is passing through conversations. Yeah, that's powerful. Wow. On that note, do you think that the category that you're in tends toward monopoly? So do you think that the combo space will ultimately own all conversation that happens on the internet or will there be multiple players? And if so, why? Yes, there will always be multiple players. Even right now, there have been multiple different platforms, companies way bigger than Converse space who've tried doing like decentralized social media conversations, platforms like Status, platforms like Streamer and many others have tried to do like end-to-end encrypted messaging just completely decentralized, but none of them have actually caught on. And that's simply because Web3 has this thing wherein we love to sort of ship and build things, but to actually build products that are in need is a completely different category and a problem that both Web2 and Web3 companies face. So it really has to address a core need for people. And right now, Discord, Slack, Twitter are all great. I mean, there isn't really any core use case that Web3 brings to the table that people would go like, hey, I need this. Most of them are nice to have. So that's where we sort of bring about this idea of self-sovereign data identity and also this interoperability that you get along with it. That's where you sort of, by default, create these positive sum games where it, even though everyone's using Converse space, the entire code space is open, uh, open source. Not a single line of code is like world uh, behind something. Everybody can bet through that entire protocol. Anyone can hack and build on top of Converse space. They don't need our permission for it. We can't I technically revoke it. I mean, we could by like not building anything on Converse space and just leaving it, but it's not really in the benefit for us or anyone else in the ecosystem. So yes, it sort of tends into monopolies, but those monopolies are beneficial for everyone else because everyone else can benefit from it, contribute to it, and then gain benefit out of it. So it's sort of this mutual economy behind it. So I think that whilst building products in Web3 is really nice, building public goods that are beneficial for just people who can access anyone, it's just far, far better. And with Web3, you have this inherent economy with like blockchains where you can literally program money into your entire code base and define how people would use it and be able to make money out of it. To distill the value proposition of what you're doing, maybe into a few words, this might be too simplistic, let me know. Do you think that the real demand, the need to have is coming from the consumer need to have with the protections you mentioned earlier, anonymity, the ability to delete things, and then developers in turn are responding to that consumer need by embedding the combo space into their sites? 
So right now, the Converse space has been most useful in places where people are building their own platform, but don't want to invest time in making sure that, okay, let's say they embed like an entire comment section or they create like a simple social media platform. But the biggest problem is like the cold start problem, wherein now once they start getting up users, they have to sign in, they have to create their entire profiles, they have to start commenting things, they have to start interacting, building their entire community around it. But let's say if they want to try out a different platform, now they have to start again from scratch, create their entire profile, start commenting, creating that media and everything out there. Because Converse Space becomes this interoperable layer across multiple different platforms, people can just integrate with it and tie like a convo to a specific element of the web, being like a blog post, so that wherever that blog post is referenced, those same conversations, communities can move along with it. Whether it might be, if you're talking about Web3, then you can tie a conversation to like an NFT or an artwork. So if it's showcased in like a 3D gallery, or if it's on like a marketplace for selling, the same conversations can move along with them. And that's sort of how the core proposition has been for people to work and integrate with Converse Space. And obviously, the entire libraries, developers, infrastructure that Converse Space takes care of is just a cherry on top of the cake because now developers don't honestly have to care about anything, whether they might just want like a single line of code integration or want to build like a full view of Reddit. It has every two libraries, APIs, just make it happen. So it sounds like, What I said was maybe half the equation. The other half is there truly is a developer value proposition, which is what we were talking about before when I was mentioning my Substack. that if you want to promote a site, a piece of content, it's beneficial to you to have conversations happen across the internet about that topic. Absolutely. I want to switch gears to your go-to-market. Can you tell me a bit about what go-to-market means at the Convo space? It's pretty funny because Convo space started out as sort of like a personal need of something that we wanted. And then it sort of gradually became bigger and bigger where more people started using it and we started getting feedback and we started incorporating it. And since then, as we sort of started getting that flywheel moving, I don't think we are on our own have really come up with most of the features have just come up directly from the actual market and the users. So for go-to-market for Web3 right now, especially because it is such a small ecosystem and such a small niche that you can literally just talk to the market, talk to the platforms, talk to the people and be like, hey, what do you need? And once they start building on your platform, they can be like, hey, because we are fetching conversations and everything in Web3 is just so complicated and everything is just like zero x zero zeros and all of these numbers and that makes things complicated. We want more insights about who the user is. Maybe if you can just send us like their Twitter address and their Twitter profile, or maybe if they're doing something on OpenSea or Rarible, or what is that user actually doing? I mean, who am I actually talking to? So those were sort of the things and conversations that happened. We started inculcating them into the product and with Converse Space, we sort of made this decentralized conversation layer of internet. But even before you talk to people, you have this inherent ability and sort of a need to establish trust, right? Even before we came on this call, came on this podcast, you knew about me, we looked about each other and we were like, hey, this might be a good conversation to have. So you're mentally trying to establish sort of this trust. So people wanted to do that also in a decentralized manner. So we sort of inbuilt, sort of started building out this product called Omni, which just gave people insights. And the name really came from an omniscient ID. And almost anything and everything that we built from that point has just been 
building, shipping, getting feedback from the market, incorporating that and making those cycles as small as possible. So, I, I mean, this topic has been talked at length by so many people, but to reduce that gap between ideation and execution for literally any company, especially in Web3, is very, very important because the attention span and the speed of innovation within Web3 is like 10 times more than any other industry. So if you build something right now, it'll probably be outdated in the next week. Maybe someone will come up with even a better idea and everyone will start using that. So go-to-market in Web3 is very interesting because you get to talk to so many people you get to get that feedback instantly. But at the same time, you have to think about that, incorporate it, and be able to ship out that improvement at as really as fast as you can so that you can start getting more and more feedback and people can start using it. So go-to-market is very interesting because right now nobody knows what they're doing. Everyone's trying to figure it out, but there is a set pattern in terms of how you can really improve and at least try and nail that entire situation. It sounds like being an open source company is perhaps really beneficial to you given the requirements to act very quickly. Is that right? Very. It's also that and also because you're building these decentralized systems and building these incredibly complicated protocols, people can very often miss things. So putting things out to the wild where anybody can sort of test it, break it, and figure out their ways through it. Maybe they can gain access in some way or they can do something malicious. So because everything is open source, it sort of works out both ways wherein if anything breaks, people can some people can just file an issue, be like, hey, this isn't working or maybe I can gain access or maybe message us and figure out why that's not working independent from us. So it's not something that you have to trust us and directly verify the code that is running and have that content about, hey, this is how everything is running. This is how the code is running and not be bound in that black box of not knowing how Twitter works. I mean, how are they using my data? How are they processing it? Where are they sending it? What services actually have access to them? And be able to know and answer all of those questions on your own. So that's sort of why open source was, is sort of crucial in this space, whether or not it is actually dealing with any real money. How exactly do you engage with your community? What product are you using? Who is actually messaging people? How exactly do you gather feedback? For now, it's we were running on a very late team. Um, we closed out our seed round last October. We're internally hiring and preparing everything up. So in terms of social, it's just us and our team managing all of it. For now, most of our feedback comes from Discord, wherein we can just sort of very easily talk to people, understand what they need much easier. In terms of broadcasting to the world, it's primarily Twitter. But I would say we aren't very active on like the social presence, primarily because both like me and my co-founder aren't very social people. So uh, we would definitely like to up our game big about better community managers. And as we sort of start to hire and expand and actually launch Condo Space after the world, so far it's just been word of mouth and uh, talking to more teams and developers. But in terms of using our social channels, I think we are sort of on a back foot. But for now, Twitter has been sort of the one of the biggest sources for us to widen up the funnel to bring in more people. And where we actually use and talk to them, it's Discord. It sounds like from what you've said so far that your go-to-market will be primarily self-serve or maybe with the support of your community. And I imagine other sort of help guides that you could provide. Do you expect at some point to have really large customers that are 
trying to incorporate the convo space into what they're doing? And if so, how will you support them? Absolutely. Even this first MVP that uh, we built out for convo space, that could, the core focus for that was just to be able to scale decentralized technologies like IPFS, Falcon, and all of these things that we use to store our data to incredibly high lengths and be able to serve data incredibly quickly. Primarily because decentralized technologies aren't necessarily known to be fast. So we wanted to sort of make sure that right from the get-go, even before we started building the full-blown product out, we knew that we could scale this very well. So our core focus from the get-go was to be able to onboard even the biggest of partners. Let's say if Twitter one day wants to switch their entire stack to Convo space, all of that is possible. And we would be able to happily be able to migrate all of their even existing data very easily off onto Convo space and hopefully be able to manage that load. But even from the get-go, that is our strategy. And most of the things that we're building out, whether it might be libraries, developer tooling, SDKs, extensions, all of them are in compliance with like most of like the industry standards and things like W3Cs, like verified credentials, standards, and anything that is set in stone, which like institutional partners really require for compliance. All of those things are already baked in the protocol themselves so that they can utilize and move this stack very separately on the space. Wow. And apart from social media platforms using you, what would an enterprise customer look like? For enterprise customers, it's also one of the ways wherein they can organize information in a single place. So for like an end consumer, maybe for an admin of like a work group, it could look like, hey, I want to view all the conversations that are happening about this specific feature of a product that we're building out across the world within our team, be able to catalog them, sort them, and be able to understand how to process that entire conversation, feedback, pipelines. So instead of actually building out this entire like CRM kind of infrastructure, we've built out this entire conversation here where you can pull in, build views, build interfaces just the way you like, and be able to process data in the way your company wants. And anything and everything that Converspace does is again, incredibly malleable, incredibly customizable. So let's say if you wanted to add an image or add a video or do really anything with it can support and extend the existing features according to your liking. They could also be personal, private, encrypted, whatever way you like. So primarily for institutional customers or isn't our focus yet, but the way it would work is primarily through whatever interface they're building. Instead of using their existing pipeline, they can simply switch to Congress. So if I'm interpreting you correctly, it sounds like there's an enterprise use case, which might be incorporate conversations about particular topics into my website or application. But there might also be use case, which is to monitor conversations that are happening about specific topics, perhaps for consumer research purposes. So if I'm, you know, an e-commerce company trying to understand a bit more about fashion trends for a particular segment, it sounds like I might be able to tap into the Convo Spaces data to understand what my target demographic is saying about products that I might be launching in the future. Is that right? Exactly. I mean, let's say if you're dropping a new album or if you're dropping a new product, with Converse Space, we also have this extension we can just install on your website and be able to talk about anything on any website without actually depending on that website to integrate with Converse Space also. So you can really just drop in conversation, like just talk about really anything on any website and have it all again work throughout the entire Converse Space ecosystem and others because 
you have both options. You have public conversations and you have private conversations. Public conversations are things that can be queried and understood by everyone. Private are just between the people that you allow. So let's say if it's a personal group between you and your family and you're talking about the specific website, it is only accessible by them. But public conversations can be pulled by like other companies, other platforms to be able to easily move and understand what's happening anywhere else on the web. So you can just go like, hey, I want to know all conversations that are happening about Kendrick Lamar's new, al- uh, new album on Spotify and be able to pull in all those conversations and be able to show them on your platform and be able to do really anything with that. Did you ever think about helping consumers or the people actually participating in these conversations be able to monetize the data about their conversations that you know might be used by enterprises? Yes. So uh, we have this in- inherent ability with Congress space to be able to convert your data into a data token, which essentially means package it up and upload it to a service called Ocean Protocol, which allows you to sort of, allows basically platforms to be able to invest in your own data and be able to monetize it. And they, they can also use it for like private machine learning algorithms and things like that. So if you wanted like an organic source of data to understand maybe for machine learning tasks, like conversational data happening anywhere else in the world, they can sort of be able to do all of those things and take it into the protocol itself. On the hiring front, I remember you mentioning that you're thinking about hiring some community managers to help you and your co-founder. Who might be the people that you would be hiring after that that are doing something community or customer facing in some way? Basically, I'm wondering what roles will exist at your company over the next year or two that are not product and engineering? So both me and our co-founder have an incredible interest in design. So we wanted to like sort of shift our entire infrastructure and things that we're talking about, things that we're working on, so like our personal roles, more towards like product facing, more design facing, and focus on like building beautiful products. So whether it might be in the same domain or different domains, so we are expanding our like task force to both be focused on engineering, build technical products, but also be able to build consumer products and things that actually have an impact on people's lives. So the primary roles that we would sort of be expanding more into would be facing more towards user research, would be facing more towards design, would be facing more towards animation, would be facing more towards people who have spent their time and energy into focusing more on users and how users interpret the world. Because technical work and actually working with users are two completely different worlds. So once you've got most of the tech locked down, we would like to focus more of our efforts on the user front and more on design front and actually working with more and more people to see how and build more innovative use cases for really any decentralized tech that we build up. So currently, our focus has been Converse Space, uh, which sort of came out of like a personal need. Then we spread out Omnit along with it, which sort of came out of need for people who were building on Converse Space. And then we are internally working on another product called Varta which is more consumer-based, more innovative, experimental towards user design. So it's sort of covering this entire umbrella from the first line of code that developer writes to like the first thing that a consumer sees on their screen before they're interacting on a product and be able to solve all the issues in the middle. So we're sort of focusing on that and building out that entire pipeline entirely. So basically hiring across all roles was focused more towards design and user research. As my last question, I'd love to know 
What are your tips for people in the Web2 world who are looking to get into Web3? My biggest tip would be to just build something and get it out there. It might sound like probably the worst advice anyone can give, especially because you don't really want to get out things that are like half big or things that people might be like, uh, why did you even build this? But it's important to experiment and see what the space is capable of before you make that entire decision of whether or not you want to actually focus your efforts into it. And I have personally found out the best way to sort of understand about this space is to just build something that is parallel to your product. If you're active in the social ecosystem, maybe look at other DAOs that are participating or the NFT ecosystems that are participating and try and look at like the more creative people who are trying to do newer things with those existing tools like money, with like finance, with like open systems, building out these incredible services for people to be able to harness the power of blockchain, DeFi, NFTs, DAOs in more creative ways and be able to work with them to be able to find better product fits for something that wasn't really possible in the realm of Web3. So Web3 brings about these things wherein users have more control and say with the products that they're using. And that can be an incredibly powerful motivator, but also a demotivator for products. So it needs a lot of mental attention to be able to figure out. But at the same time, it is very fruitful in terms of understanding more about your product. So my biggest advice for people would be to just build something, maybe put a couple of developers on it and figure your strategy out. Whether or not this ecosystem can help you in any way possible to actually maybe even expand your product line. If it's focused towards developers, then you have like this incredible infrastructure being built out in the blockchain world within databases and all of these things. If it's focused towards consumers, then you have this entire industry of creative people joining in, build better solutions for consumers. So working with them would be great. So yeah, just get started building. Anadit, thank you so much for this conversation. I learned a great deal and I'm sure others who are listening to this will as well. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. 